welcome to If Nothing Matters, a podcast about nihilism. What is nihilism? The belief that nothing matters on both an evaluative and a practical level. Nothing matters, and that's not a bad thing. It doesn't matter that nothing matters. It feels like in this cultural moment, a lot of people feel like nothing matters. But if that's true, how do we get through life? So I'll be exploring this question with a new guest each week, and this week my guest is Thomas Gherkin. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Wonderful to be here. Um, so I want to get a little more background on you and your personal life experience to contextualize your take on nihilism. Okay. So um, can you tell us, were you raised to believe that life has meaning? Yes. Um, I grew up... Protestant, um, and was very religious in like the way a child can be religious, um, which is fine for a child and a young adult. Um, so grew up Protestant and then, yeah, so just like that sort of understanding of Christianity and the universe and the meaning of life was kind of received ready-made in that form. And then later there were some conversions and other journeys, but the starting point, yeah, was that system of meaning. Mm-hmm. So how do you think like that manifested particularly for you? Do you think that you were told um, like human life has meaning because of an afterlife or because of um, bettering others' lives? Like in what form did that come? Right. Um, offhand, I don't remember anything like an explicit statement, like human life has the following meaning for the following <laughs> set of reasons, right? Like it was just sort of implicit in that whole structure of things I think I don't know I don't think there was an explicit there wasn't one specific thing it was largely this idea that just like there is a god and god is this very personal figure um like we talk about god just as he and that is meaning meaning I guess at least in terms of what we are supposed to do with our life um and I guess that was enough at the time I mean, so this definitely, like, raises one of our major questions about nihilism, right? Which is, um, how can you construct a morality in your life uh, feeling like it has no meaning, right? So maybe one of the reasons that religion um, makes meaning uh, is through, like, ethics, right? And telling you, you know, there's, like, a certain right and wrong. um, Based on the assumption that there's either going to be some impact on those around you or it's going to affect you explicitly later on in an afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you believe in an afterlife? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Most versions of an afterlife that are sort of put forward by people who would identify it as this is an afterlife that I believe in, I don't believe are probably the case. Um, I am inclined to think that whatever there is after this life, if there is anything... If there is something there, I, I'm not ready to put any content into what it might be like. And I'm okay with that. Sure, sure. Um, was there a time when you did believe in an afterlife? Yes. Yeah. So again, growing up, um, Christian, Protestant, sort of lightly evangelical. Um, yeah. And it was just a very literal, there's a heaven and a hell. And they might as well be places we could talk of them as, that we go to as ourselves. Um yeah, and at that point, again, it, w- it was understood very much within that particular Christian system of, like, these are the rules, and they were rules of you need to believe certain things, and then you get into heaven, and otherwise you go to hell, and they're forever, and mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So when I mean, did, do I want to? Oh, well, when ahead. did that change? Right. Um, so my sophomore year of high school, I had a kind of crisis of faith, and I was just like, oh damn, I don't think there's a God. Like, suddenly it all just... Also, in the background and relevant to all of this is that I'm gay and growing up in rural, small-town Indiana, like, in a super Christian environment where I didn't receive a lot of active homophobia-type things, but I just felt completely invisible as a gay person. Mm -hmm. And so that was, in a lot of ways, very... My relationship with my religion and spirituality were very much informed by my relationship with my sexuality. And those were working against each other. Um, and I ended up choosing for public necessity purposes, the like religious side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that in some of those subsequent adolescent and young adult disruptions in my religion like I think that that was part of what was pushing against it like this isn't sustainable because part of me doesn't work with this Um, so sophomore year of high school I have this whole crisis of faith and then I was like oh no I think there's no God and then I do a lot of reading and research and talking to people and praying and came out the other side of that deciding to convert to Catholicism Mm -hmm. Um, which I think there were lots of reasons for that I was aware of at the time and that I now look back and think we're also probably going on under the surface. Um, anyway, so I'm Catholic for like two years and I go to college and it was a Catholic school and freshman year they required everyone to take an introduction to theology and an introduction to philosophy. And in just my intro philosophy 101, it was sort of this survey of different areas of philosophy and one of them was the existence of God. And I again just dug into it very meaningfully. Um, and again, was like, shit, I, maybe there's, oh, I think there's not a God. I think there's not a God. Um, and since my whole set of views on the afterlife were all bundled together with my views on God, and it was, again, this whole package deal, it all dropped out together. Um, and so then I had roughly a year of what I call my angry atheism. It was a whole, like, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens... <laughs> Dennett, um, I, well, mostly Hitchens, not Dawkins, um, but angry atheism, super self-righteous. And then again, I was at a Catholic school being there, being surrounded by religious people. I won't do this in like the 45 minute version, but this is the, (laughs) the arc. I end up mellowing it down to kind of an agnosticism. There's a lot I don't have figured out. That's fine, but it looks like people can be religious and believe these things and be intellectually respectable and morally good and people cannot believe these things and be intellectually respectable and morally good um and so somewhere in that soft agnosticism um is where i hung out for a long time and then lately the last year or so i've had a kind of much more rich interaction with spirituality in an adult way I think lately I'm recognizing ways of engaging with these questions in addition to the purely intellectual. Mm, um, yeah. And that's... Definitely. Yeah, the way that I'm with those things lately. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's certainly another conversation I'd love to have with you yeah. at some point because I'm super into that concept. Um, but so if you were to maybe try to track your take on like your life's meaning or even like humanity's exist, the meaning of humanity's existence... Um, Obviously, when you're a kid, 
you know, you're not thinking about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then there comes a point where you are, right? And that usually coincides with some time in the, like, you know, 8th to 11th grade range, right? Like Mm -hmm. I said, like, oh, when I was 15 or whatever, you know, this is when I first had this crisis of faith. So is that when you first started maybe asking yourself if life had meaning? No. I remember, as as in it was before that, so that was Mm -hmm. 10th grade, was the whole, like, crisis of theism that I came out of as a Catholic and... But before that, at least in sixth or seventh grade, I think, I remember, and I remember this specifically, and it freaked me out deeply at the time, was I, I, and I was just thinking directly about, like, what is the meaning of life? What are we, what is the meaning? What is the purpose? What are we here for? What's going on? And the analogy that I thought of it through was, like, an apple tree. The purpose listeners at home, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers here, (laughs) the purpose of an apple tree is to produce apples, Mm -hmm. right? But then the purpose of an apple is really just a vehicle for the seed, and the purpose of the seed is to produce an apple tree, the purpose of which is to produce apples. So, like, wait a minute, at what point is anything ever worth itself, you know? Like, if everything's purpose is just producing some further thing that just produces some further thing... If that's the whole sequence, where does where does value, where does meaning really hang on it for it, mm-hmm. you know, to, to spread to the rest of them? Um, and I was like, oh shit, are humans the same, right? If anything we do only has a purpose because of some future state that it creates, but then I'll hit that future state and we'll keep moving and everything future will eventually be present, will eventually be past. Mm-hmm. So any meaning that there is, it seems like would eventually sort of burn out, meaning it's not meaning anyway. So, oh no. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't really solve it. I just got yeah. freaked out. I it was like, I called it the apple tree problem. I was Ooh. very That's a nice, very intellectual for, about a, it for exactly a middle school. The apple tree sure. problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so that's when I started. And I, I didn't, I didn't find that I remember anyway, a satisfactory answer to it then or for a while. Mm-hmm. So do you think that you would call that nihilism as you experienced it? Or how would you define nihilism? I wouldn't call that. And I also, we talked about this, um, I'm going to say nihilism just because that's what yeah. I'm more used to saying. That's um, I think my working definition for now of nihilism would, would yeah, be the belief that... Uh, should have come ready with this one. I should have the belief that nothing matters, right? But then that means like tons of like, okay, well, what does nothing mean? What does matters yeah. mean, right? Like yeah. there's everything still to push on. But the reason that I wouldn't call the apple tree nihilism is that I think that doesn't rise to the the content rich belief. Nothing matters. It just rises to the level of like a problem, a question. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, so, like. This particular mm. clean and complete way of understanding it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. This this one way that I'm trying to look at it, it doesn't fit in and sort of produce a satisfactory answer in that system. Yeah. But that's not the same thing as so the whole thing's completely broken and there can't be any meaning at all. Mm-hmm. I think it was just bumping up against for the first time, oh, the way that I've been thinking about meaning working doesn't work, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. But it, that does that make sense? It wasn't the same thing as as thinking there can't be other things that might still be it. It was just the recognition that I am not 
all the way there. Sure. I mean, I think it seems like a good microcosm, though, for, like, the two... Uh, problems of nihilism as a person's considering them, right? So, like, one is, like, there's no point to my individual life, right? Mm -hmm. So, for you, right, this apple, like, doesn't have any meaning beyond just producing more apples. That's a problem for the individual apple, so that's Mm -hmm. a problem for the individual life looking for meaning. Um, But then it's also, like, on a level of humanity, right? And in, like, a bigger, almost cosmic sense because it's, like, if all we're doing is perpetuating ourselves more and there's nothing Mm -hmm. beyond that, like, right? So that creates a problem, too. Yeah, it's just recognizing, okay, so that sort of production or creating something that exists later on or something that exists outside of itself isn't the way that a satisfactory answer to meaning is going to be found. Mm -hmm. And then that, it doesn't solve the problem, but it sort of just gets it, it's like an unask the question thing, right? Like, oh, that question was phrased wrong. If I was trying to find meaning in that specific way, Mm -hmm. that just doesn't have to be it. So yeah, it is getting away from that sort of production of something outside myself is the only thing that could be called meaning Mm -hmm. okay i see so that's like you said like it's eliminating one possibility yeah um so then maybe i guess let's move from apples to humans okay right so would you say that meaning has to be created for an individual within oneself maybe in like an existentialist kind of way yes i think so which doesn't require that a person be aware of that, right? Like, I I believe that Mm -hmm. whatever meaning means, that's how it does have to work. We each have to create that meaning or assign value to that meaning or in a very, very existentialist way, just through how we do in fact live our lives, we are forced to act according to some set of beliefs and values. And like, it's it's a forced choice, right? We do in fact operate according to some kind of system of meaning and there's no such thing as not choosing that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can do that without being aware that that's what we're doing, thinking, oh, I'm I'm just following this received wisdom. Mm -hmm. But again, I think what's actually happening in that case is not that, is not only that, that there is some sort of external objective, ready-made meaning, and they are picking it up. I think Mm -hmm. that, again, that choice to pursue that, even if it's one that is influenced by momentum and cultural surroundings and things still is an act of that person creating that meaning for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have mean, you read, Oh, sorry. Have you read nausea? Oh yeah. Okay. I love Cause nausea. there, there's yeah. just like the whole <laughs> ending is what I'm thinking of with the jazz mm-hmm. and everything. Right. And you're just like, I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, so this actually brings up tons of questions that I, I'm really interested in existentialism, but one of our key problems there, right, um, then becomes like, how can you live ethically in a larger society? And what's your responsibility to other people and like larger forces beyond just what's important to you or gives you individually meaning? So how do you grapple with that if you're living in a world mm-hmm. where everyone should be self-determining their own meaning? What if my meaning is, um, you know, to say, screw you and run you over with my car? And this, again, is one of those that I don't think we have, I at least haven't seen an answer that I am completely happy with. But again, that I think that's not the same as a proof that there is no answer. Mm-hmm. It might, again, just be like the question is broken or something. Um, I think a handful of things, and we can come back to this in depth, but, but like I do believe in what you could call moral objectivism, or like I believe that... that right and wrong and probably things like good and bad um 
there are truths about them that are true more or less objectively, or at least not wholly subjectively. Like, because I have never seen a version of moral moral relativism um, or subjectivism that doesn't really just boil down to nihilism, right? That's the thing. And I'm like, and I refuse, I refuse. Like something in me, and I know we all go to the Nazi analogy way too fast, but it's good. I mean, it's not good, but it's it's effective. Mm -hmm. Because you point to that and I'm just like, no, like I cannot look at things like that or plenty of other horrible things that are present day going on, like on the block, right? I can't look at some of these things and believe that there's not something genuinely wrong Mm. with that um and so i can't accept nihilism and so i I can't accept a sort of subjectivism or relativism that ultimately i think boils down to it so i believe there is an objective right and wrong Mm -hmm. i don't even remember the original question but i was trying to situate it all in response to i believe there's an objective right and wrong it was so what's the deal with if we're all just running around yeah constructing our own own moralities or our own meanings um well I think they can be wrong. I think that mm-hmm. as a descriptive statement, we all do have to create our own meaning and find our own meaning and pursue our own meaning or whatever, right? But there, I think there also are objective right and wrong, and we can get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there must be objective truth. <sighs> y- yes. Or I sort of, yeah. I like how you're framing it as like, okay, there's something that's more objective or more subjective, right? It kind of reminds me of almost the way that like physics works in some sense where it's actually all probabilities, right? So it's like, okay, maybe 99% of the time you can look at a certain case and follow this maxim A, right? Um, But maybe there's like maxim B that, you know, produces the correct response 60% of the time, right? And so then maybe that's not a very good one, right? And Mm -hmm. that's a situation, like a moral situation that's more complex and nuanced. But then the question becomes like, who's determining like, when something is right is it just the number of people who agree on it right so is it like for nazis it's just because most people uh, agree that that's wrong and no, then you get into like think so. life rights and things like that and, right you know. no i don't think so um okay so i just finished a master's in ethics healthcare ethics specifically but still unlike my mm-hmm. and this this is part of context too so undergrad i ended up majoring in philosophy and so just like dug super into ethics specifically in the middle of my whole I'm abandoning theism and religion and sort of for a while I tried to supplant that with philosophy. Like this is a system that will give me clear cut answers and meaning (laughs) and it doesn't work. Um, So basically, yeah, I've like dug around with this stuff forever and a lot of it does come out to that idea of like, okay, all I do is get a better and better idea of what I don't know and don't understand about it, right? Mm. While at the same time coming in different ways to be more comfortable with that. Mm. Um, I, so I said that to say like I could ramble around and it would be even less clear than anything I've said so far in the response to, well, okay, what does it mean to say the Nazis are wrong or that their actions are wrong? Um, No, I don't believe it's just a polling issue of, you know, a majority of people disagree with it, so it's bad. I think there's something in and of those kind of actions themselves that are wrong in whatever way it means to say a human shouldn't do those things and a human should 
do certain other things. Um, I, well... Let me jump in here. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between, um, you know, the cruelty of Nazis and, for instance, um, like a lion ripping another lion's throat out? Sure. In a fight. Um, I mean, I think humans are special. Um, again, in a way that I don't understand fully. I'm not positing something like a, a, any really fleshed out version of a soul or the image of God. But like, there, I, th- I think we're special. I think that the differences between humans and other animals are differences in addition to those of degree. There are differences of kind. I think that we are self-conscious in just a fundamentally different way. I think that we have capabilities for reflection and thought and um, perspective taking that are just deeply fundamentally different from other animals. And so if I if a lion ripping out another lion's, which I guess, I don't know, why, would that be a fight? Or is it going to eat I think they're, just, they're fighting over, they both want the same food. Okay. Because like it's an easier one, right? If it's like eating something and you got to kill it, it's yeah. just part of the game. Um, if I'm just attacking another lion when we could share, that one's trickier. <laughs> um, but I think it's I, I, I again just don't think we can ask the same question of the lion and the Nazi, where the lion isn't able to think differently and reflect and construct different solutions that allow for the good of all involved and things, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a human being is and therefore we are responsible for that right mm-hmm. it's 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 the freedom that we have and freedom not just in a negative sense of we're not constrained but freedom in a positive sense of we can do all these things right that freedom comes hand in hand with responsibility for that freedom whatever that responsibility means mm-hmm. and again i don't i don't have it totally figured out what right and wrong ultimately mean like in virtue of what ultimately is something right and wrong but i think there's something going on to them and whatever it means is connected to the capacity to choose what we do in a way that humans, I think, do have and lions don't have in a difference of kind mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Okay. This is very interesting because I feel like a lot of people I've talked to haven't felt like humans are particularly special in comparison to other creatures. Really? But I think that that's a more common belief than my sampling would suggest. Okay. I think that just shows the types of people that I'm friends with. Okay. But I, I think that you do need that step in order to make certain moral judgments on humans, right? Like you're saying, and then say like, okay, we have a responsibility if we're very different, right? If you say that humans are just like all other animals, it leaves mm-hmm. a lot more room for like excusing different types of behavior and almost sure. saying it's out of our control, which to some extent I think is like scientifically viable because we are just apes. But like this insane, like, I like, would push uh, back on the word just there. <laughs> I mean, I guess I apes are yes great and. too. <laughs> Uh, humans are different. We have this ability and this responsibility to uh, live in some sort of ethical way because of our capacity for reason. Okay. Would you agree with that? Yes. Without... I, I want to reserve the possibility that that's not the whole story, though. Mm-hmm. That there could be also more in virtue of which mm-hmm. we have these ethical sure. responsibilities. Not just reason, but, the, yeah, but the also some kind of... Capacity for reason is a necessary part of it mm-hmm. sure and then some other like 
Yeah, or of just the capacity for compassion. Mm-hmm. Or, or because these are kind of different things, right? Compassion is like, I'm having an experience, I'm feeling something in response to what happens to you. But there's also, that's distinct from like recognizing that it matters what happens to you, right? Mm-hmm. That, that in the same way I know my experiences matter, right? I know what it is to be happy and having a pleasant experience and I know what it is to be suffering in different ways and I know that that suffering seems in itself bad mm-hmm. like to then recognize that oh so it's also bad that you suffer and bad that that stranger suffer and like good that you both be happy and well mm-hmm. just that yeah some some kind of recognition of mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like sameness with each other, but it, yeah. that's not the best way I want to describe it. Anyway. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I mean, so some people lack that though, right? Like they're either like very selfish or narcissistic or just mm-hmm. solipsistic and literally thinking like my experience is the only thing that matters. Right. Some people even doubt that other people's experience is real, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you obviously don't think that. What would you say to someone who does? Oh, I can't prove them wrong. Can't. That's the whole way it works, right? Is that... I'd be, any proof I could possibly present to them, they're going to experience in the same way as I, uh, an automated robot, could present it to them, right? Like, they, you, you, mm-hmm. I can, no one can ever receive proof of anyone else's experiences, mm-hmm. right? But that's not proof no one else is having them. That just means that, okay, we can't have proof of that. Um, I what mean, if, I think of it, well... What if that became, like, the prevailing thought in society, though? That most people thought that only their experience was real? I mean, I feel like society would collapse if people, A, really thought that, and mm-hmm. B, acted accordingly. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if only my experience is real, effectively only I am real as mm-hmm. someone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then you are an elaborate computer, mm-hmm. the Chuck E. Cheese band, right? Um, so why, like, if then... Yeah. All that matters is what I want and what's good for me. Mm-hmm. And if we all act that way for very long at all, probably we're all dead soon. Yeah. Well, why would that be bad, right? Why would society collapsing or like the end of humanity mm. be a bad thing? I don't know that I know the answer to that. So here again, this is going to be my, my out to a lot of the questions, but it is also where I genuinely am is on a lot of these things, I don't know the answer in sort of an airtight, intellectually defensible um, way that can be laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't think that kind of airtight intellectual certainty is required for these mm-hmm. things. I think they're, they're just kind of different domains. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, that, that kind of answer to things has been used to support a lot of spooky thinking and, like, just non-thinking and mm-hmm. trying to insulate against all criticism. Whatever there may be that is something like God or the universe or life with a capital L, um, whatever's going on behind and under the world and existence. I'm inclined to think that there is something like that. I'm inclined to think that it does show up in the world in a special way in humans. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it makes sense to speak of something like that having plans, like, I, I just think that, like... 
it <laughs> seems like probably I feel like it has a plan for there to be humans, for there to be a world at all. Yeah. Um, and that it seems like a good thing that we are in the world. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know. We kill a lot of well, species. By we, <laughs> sure, right? Then that's not good. Everything that we've done with our existence is not necessarily good. Mm. But if we compare um, a version of things where, like, possible universe A, nothing at all exists. There is absolutely nothing. Possible universe B looks a lot like ours, except minus any life. You know, lots of rocks and Mm -hmm. stars. Um, Possible universe C looks a lot like ours, but it's like, imagine an Earth without humans, right? Mm -hmm. There's all other sorts of kinds of life. And then possible universe D is the one we're in. Yeah. Um, This goes, I mean, this is like goofball who is it, Leibniz stuff? About, like, comparing universes and being like, look, whatever God is, God prefers Mm. universes B, C, and D to A, first off. It's good that something exists. Mm -hmm. And then C and D to B, it's good that life exists. Mm -hmm. And then between C and D is trickier, right? Between, like, animal kingdom and humans around. I feel like it's... it's good that we're around, which, like I said, doesn't mean that every single thing that we've done with our existence is good, yeah. which is precisely part of the weight and the responsibility of being human, is that we can fuck it up. Mm-hmm. We can mess it up. Our actions are meaningful precisely because, or at least in part because, we can do it wrong. And part of doing it wrong, and part of what is wrong about doing it wrong, is that it hurts others, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it might still be good overall that we exist and have the full weight of 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 acting and influencing our world and ourself and others as opposed to this kind of or like think of it like a like a um like a garden of eden narrative that we can talk about um where people are around but people are in whatever way or human people whatever are around but in whatever way insulated from making any bad choices we can only make good choices and things but then in virtue of that alone making those good choices lacks anything that we could call value or goodness in a deep sense because it's not a choice you're just following a program right like for me to for it to be meaningful that i choose to do something good i have to be able to choose to do something bad Mm -hmm. which doesn't require that i like look at them or think of them in exactly those terms but just this is so lovely, and I feel like you're, just to get into a personal note, like, bringing out the best things that I felt like I got from religion as, like, a child and adolescent, okay. right? That, like, um, I would consider myself an atheist at this point, but, like, there, there's definitely something to what you're getting at in terms of, like, it is good that life has progressed to this point, and it is good that we can make these decisions because it's deeper in some way. Mm-hmm. And a lot Deeper. of yes, what is a good word. you've been saying the whole time is really reminding me of like a take that I sort of have about Im- the importance of witnessing, right? So like as a human, um, if you compare Earth's C and D, right? Or even like B and D, um, there could very well be like beauty and uh, majesty and movement and life right? Um, you know, little plants and frolic and mm-hmm. lammies and things like that. But there's something really special about humans being able to be a self-conscious form of life and therefore to look at that in some way distance oneself from it 
and then witness it and appreciate it and see it. Yes. Right? And I feel like, to me, that's how I like to think of myself as giving myself meaning in my mm-hmm. life. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, this is really cool, all what you're saying, right? Um, but I think if the lamb were self-conscious, that would be just as good. Sure. Yeah, awesome. I mean, if it were self-conscious, again, in those, yeah. like, I don't think there's, like, human in terms of our exact um, Yeah, we need a gallbladder and a, right. two legs. No, it's the, like, you can think, you can reflect, you can understand that other people have minds, which, again, you're free to, like, <laughs> then go full solipsist, but, like, you yeah. still have an idea what it would mean for other people to have minds like i feel like that's most people's default starting point like solipsism you gotta yeah once you're to like work six. to like a concept rich solipsism you gotta get there yeah. right there's like a yes. naive solipsism when you're mm-hmm. a baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um this baby is this a baby is a, a solipsist <laughs> bring him up on heresy charges um witnessing which again i think is related to beauty sure i think the the the, the special goodness that in our actual universe, we see largely in humans, yeah, is not married to every single thing about us. It's about capacity for thinking, capacity for choice, um, which again, I think things like hypothetical reasoning and imagining and things play into that too. And also our experience of beauty, I think, is part of what is a really special and important part of being human, which again, may be shared in different ways by bowerbirds. Um, <laughs> Let's commune with them and find out. Right? <laughs> that would be very cool. Um, so, oh, so I was going to say, this is a little bit of a tangent, but with that distance that allows us to, um, think about people, situations, the effects they, we might have on our surroundings and also perceive beauty and mystery, um, I feel like comes a certain pain because we're always separated from nature and we can't just live and we can't just be. And it's this little bit of a self-torturing thing too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not the immediate pain that I identify in it but I think in a lot of ways yeah there is in virtue of being humans the way that we are humans pain goes hand in hand with that um for again similar reasons to that like as opposed to a garden of eden thing like mm-hmm. the real world we look take a look around and there is lots of suffering and there is lots of imperfection and I mean I could spin like a very ill-informed buddhist take on it right I'm just like whoops things are decaying there is pain there is want um that separateness, though, do you... And I, I, I will not do the best job of explaining it, too, but it's, it's related. Do you know Simone Weil? No. French philosopher? Um, she... Oh. No, she's wild, <laughs> and I used to have this, like, really weird, intense opposition to her. Um, but she has this whole idea that is similar to what you were saying about the human's relationship to the beauty that it sees in nature... She has a kind of parallel thing that she talks about, but in place of the human, it's God. And in place of nature, it's all of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And this notion that, yeah, in order to appreciate and to love something, there has to be some degree of separateness. Mm -hmm. Just at least enough for me to be able to say I and you, Mm -hmm. right? Some degree of separateness, some degree of distance Mm -hmm. from which I can see you. And the beauty and the mystery is loving and appreciating that beauty across that distance but that that distance in and of itself at the same time also requires separateness we are apart in some way and there's a pain in that mm-hmm. or there can be at least mm-hmm. um and so Simone Veda is this whole 
mystical digging around in that in terms of the way that God might love. And again, I'm using God in like a very... General. We can, yeah, you know, fill that in a lot of ways. That the universe is necessarily separate and limited in those ways, but that those limitations, yeah, present at one and the same time the possibilities for pain and also the possibilities for beauty and meaning that is all the more deeply meaningful precisely because it is in the midst of that pain and via that pain. And mm-hmm. it's not just that, like, oh, the bad days help you appreciate the good ones better. It's like, no, like, it's, it's in terms of meaningful good even to be possible requires that meaningful bad be possible. Yeah. Back to nihilism. Hit it. Take us back. Take <laughs> Let's us back see nowhere. Here. Okay. You would not call yourself a nihilist at this point, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, this goes back to what we started with. Like, what do we mean by it? That nothing matters. Like, do we mean to start up like moral and ethical nihilism? Like, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Every single action we do is worth nothing and thus worth the same versus just like, oh, there's no ultimate meaning, but maybe we can construct various, construct or find various sort of finite amounts of meaning, which I think is another way that we can approach things, right? Like, okay, maybe nothing ultimately matters, mm-hmm. but there still can be things that I can, like, finite things that I can attach finite amounts of meaning to and just choose to pursue that while recognizing that it's not ultimately meaningful. And I think, again, just descriptively human behavior, it's possible to operate that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's also, you know, even if, no, you're just a complete nothing matters in any way at all, sure, that can lead to why bother getting out of bed, but it can equally lead to why bother staying in bed? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sure. effectively a, just freedom to do whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. And nothing, or doing nothing, isn't the only possible response to yeah. that, right? I mean, that's I could true. go commit serial killings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. Or I could just, like, do literally anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, the example that tends to come up um, when I'm chatting with people who are maybe a little bit more nihilistic but don't live their lives that way tends to be sort of like okay i could just like sit in a dark room with my legs crossed and eat saltines right um or i could not do that right and if they're both equal right like Mm -hmm. why not you know do something that's sort of more interesting this is not this is not necessarily what i believe but i'm gonna try to get inside a possible headspace with this like okay Mm -hmm. i don't matter in any way beyond myself but i i still exist um, I'm here, I'm having experiences, I know that some are more pleasant than others. I know that I like having the more pleasant experiences. I know that in general I'm gonna try to have those pleasant experiences. Um, boom, I think that right there is enough to guide some actions, right? Probably not in a, in a, in a wonderful way that we should all be following, but it still at least enables me to do something, right? Because like we talked about earlier in, in an existentialist way of looking at things, we show up in existence. Here I am. Got to do something with my existence. So I'm forced to act. I'm forced to choose. I'm forced to act according to something. And that something can even be a belief that says I might not matter beyond myself. But my something is going to be choosing a pleasant or choosing and pursuing a pleasant existence for myself. Not because it has to matter in any way beyond myself, but because it matters to me. 
in virtue of being more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Like that, that pleasantness and preference still is a kind of mattering. It's a kind of value attached. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's probably more good in goodness and pleasure. Again, not in a way that has to be the end of our entire moral thinking and then just this like hedonism mm-hmm. weirdness, which can also be very selfish, but... I mean, I think that's why I really, like, doubt a feeling of there being a god a lot of the times, because I I don't think that there's any preference that I could see expressed in the universe for good over bad or pleasure over pain. Like, it seems like there's a lot of pain, emptiness, just desolation, and human misery, non-human misery, suffering. Mm -hmm. And there's also, like, a lot of great stuff, right? But to me, it doesn't seem like there's, like, an expressed preference in the way that things seem to unfold Mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely a preference within humans right but it's sort of as you said like why not prefer something that is going to feel better to you on like a most basic level and Mm -hmm. then when you're trying to create like social cohesion or just not feel like an asshole go to like a moral level right um but i don't know i don't necessarily buy that like what's good is good because someone almost wanted to see it i don't mean by any of that to say that i think good and bad and right and wrong mean what God wants makes God happy. Because that, again, doesn't work for all sorts of reasons. Like, if we just that reasoning is really shoddy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that the goodness of things is reducible to there being what God wants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that it's, like, subjective in terms of um, whatever creature or life form works towards its flourishing right so like for a tree to have isn't a great word so useful yes because yeah, happiness yeah. could be the flourishing is like right are we good. doing like aristotle type yeah flourishing? sure okay, sure yeah, yeah. um right so like what a tree needs to flourish and what mm-hmm. we need to flourish mm-hmm. would you say that that is what's good whatever is good for the individual life form to be its best self again i'm not like gonna sign on to a whole robust system based on that um in that approach that understands at least part of goodness as flourishing, yes, I think that makes sense. Um, I think that that can hold up pretty well. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to exhaust the story. It doesn't have to be the only thing that is part of goodness and rightness. Um, some part of some goodness is my flourishing as myself, and you flourishing as you, and this plant flourishing as itself, and this inorganic table <laughs> flourishing as itself. Um, then A, that doesn't mean that any of those goodnesses are good in being perceived as such by me or you or God, right? Um, B, it doesn't mean that it's up to me what flourishing for me means. It's not that kind of subjectivism or relativism. Um, It still is subjective or relative to who I actually am in my finitude and particularity. Um, So it doesn't get us into just like, anything goes. Like, no, it's good for you to... Not be malnourished. Um, It's good for you. Yeah, you know, it's good for us to probably be in relationships with each other. It's good for us to um, interact with other people in supportive ways. Um, So this raises the question, do you think that to flourish we need to have a sense of meaning as humans? I'm not immediately sure, but an avenue that I want to think through it down is like, okay, let's look at the alternative, having a sense of meaning versus different ways of not having a sense of meaning. And I can think of at least two big clusters. And one is, yeah, this kind of content-rich nihilism. There is no meaning. Nothing matters, right? And that, I think, could 
go a number of ways. I'm thinking of flowchart style. So we'll come back to what follows from that approach. The other is where I think a lot of people fall for at least a lot of their lives, which is just not really thinking about ultimate questions of meaning, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I think there's this thing that we see a lot of times where people have these moments of clarity, right? Where for a long time, for years, maybe even you've, you've been living your life according to certain values and principles and systems and whatever else. And you just maybe haven't tried to dig all the way to their foundations. And then one day it's like, oh shit, like for 40 years, I've just been, I want to have a happy family and get the promotion and, Mm -hmm. or whatever else, right? It's not, that's sort of the cliche, but it can be any number of other things. And then you have this moment of just like, oh my God, I am here in the universe. Why? (laughs) Right? Um, and so, yeah, then you're, then you're, mm-hmm. then you're in the place of having to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like, that class I would say are people who ha- are not asking the question for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this group of people who are, they're answering the question with a no. Yeah. Right. And those are very different things. Yeah. Do I think that answering the question with a yes is necessary for us to flourish? No. So I think answering with a yes or not paying attention for a long time, you can still flourish in either of those cases. I think answering with a no to me really does present some problems, which gets us back to that original question of like, can you really function in society as like, if you have examined it and come up with no, right? I think it could really turn you into like a very bitter and amoral person in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. Um, make you not care about other people, uh, make you complacent make you self-hating in maybe some cases, right? Or it could lead you down like a path of just absolute hedonism where you are sort Mm -hmm. of like enjoying yourself, but it isn't to your ultimate flourishing and it's hurtful to other people. Um, So I don't know. I think those are the reasons why I feel like the, uh, like nihilism in, you know, an individual's life has to be resisted. Um, And maybe for me, I would say answering with a no is going to be an obstacle to your flourishing. And so if if then you're asking yourself the question, do I want to flourish or not? Then you must create meaning. Or just try to bury your head in the sand. Asking the question about flourishing, like if flourishing is meant in any way that has any kind of a value attached to it, right? Why should you prefer to flourish over not flourishing? Mm -hmm. It seems like any answer you give to any of that has to be some kind of meaning. Yeah. Right? So I feel like if you you're can't a really hard be a nihilist, nihilist that's you just like on I the don't floor know need how you do anything. But even that, like you have to you have to just you fucking immolate yourself team. because even choosing to stay stationary, why should I do that instead of anything else, right? You're That's true. You just it's be all meaningless. Yeah. Um So, can I bring up uh Camus for a moment? Sure. Uh Myth of Sisyphus. Okay, I, st- I started it and tried several times, and I was just, I'm done. Anyway. I mean, I don't know how deep an understanding I have of it, because I don't know anything about Schopenhauer, but um, my sense of it, right, is like, okay, you have Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill, mm-hmm. it falls right back down, right? So the key moment for Camus in this text, right, is like, when you're at the bottom of the hill with the boulder, like, what are you going to do, right? That's your greatest moment of radical freedom, right? Um, in the face of the absurdity of life, what is our response, right? Mm-hmm. He has to either kill himself or push the boulder up the hill again, right? What are you going to do, given the choice between a literal abyss and an absurd existence, mm-hmm. to just live out the absurd existence as if it's not absurd, right? And that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, and I think, and this this may be like a, a, a quick and dirty oversimplification, but I think of the, the differences among nihilism absurdism and existentialism as like all of them 
start with rejecting any kind of a ready-made, clearly apparent meaning or purpose to life, right? Like, as soon as we abandon that, we're faced with the question, what is the meaning of life, and the possibility that there's, there's no answer ready to that. And so nihilism is just like, oh, there, the, there is an answer, and the answer is there is none, yeah. right? And absurdism is like, yeah, the idea of meaning, like, we don't really need to shoot for meaning. If meaning if, isn't a meaningful thing, then stop asking the question, like, we're just here. Yeah. And then, right, because the nihilist is still, like, assigning meaning to the concept of meaning and having thoughts about it not being there. Whereas the absurdist is saying, no, meaning doesn't have meaning. There's mm-hmm. no, like, your question there is, is no broken. Meaning, but, like, no, so meaning the, the as the nihilist is, right, they're yeah. saying, like, the nihilist is saying that conceptually meaning is a meaningful thing and there's none of it. Mm-hmm. And the absurdist is saying, like, no, conceptually, like, I don't even know what you mean by meaning. Mm-hmm, like, we're right. just here. Yeah. And the existentialist is saying some variation on, there is something that can count as meaning, but it comes from our creating it. turn it back to you and your personal Do experience um, so when you're starting to feel a little bit of uh, meaninglessness in your life how do you counteract that and uh, pick yourself back up yeah um, so for me because I've, I've wrestled with these questions for a really long time I've, I've wrestled with does life have a meaning is there a God what is the relationship between those two questions all of these things um and i have i have found a handful of things that i can hang on to in the times when it's hard going with those questions um and honestly this too plays into why um my sophomore year of college i sort of modulated the atheism down to agnosticism was because i was like oh i i was in this really wonderful friend group there was this just like group of four or five of us um and I had friends growing up but this like this experience of friendship with these people was different it was a deep and a loving and a a a very uniting kind of friendship um a, a love a kind of love um that I had not experienced before and so I was realizing like oh this mystery of love that I'm experiencing doesn't make total sense to me in a universe without any kind of a divine, any kind of... And I guess in this sense, yeah, it was more on, in the, on the like God side of it than the meaning side of it. But again, they're related. Um, like, this experience of love doesn't make total sense to me in just a completely materialist rocks and stars and we happened to show up just by chance universe it still doesn't make a ton of sense in a universe with god either because that raises all of its own questions right like either way i don't really know but it definitely doesn't seem to fit great in this there's no god or meaning universe so that experience of love was a first just like whoops directly experienced piece of even evidence is too like intellectual a term right because it's not just believing it's experiencing Mm -hmm. knowing in that sense but that was one of the the things that broke down that kind of 
cohesive atheism I was hanging on to into an agnosticism of just like, sure, there are still plenty of versions of God that I'm ready to say I don't believe exist, but like there could be something that does. <sighs> anyway, all that to say, so like that was the, the first individual experience of love that I made that connection with. The connection between my experience of this love tells me, shows me in a, in a directly experienced way something of whatever the divine is or meaning is or something beyond what I can understand and see around me. And I don't have it all figured out. Um, other places, other ways that I experience that, that kind of just like, no, I can't describe it intellectually completely, but I just feel it as transcendent um, art, beauty, um, music, especially. I mean, different things, but like... Uh, use Bach as this example all the time because he does like I the cello suites are an amazing 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 piece of music set of music and in those two I sit and I listen to them and I'm just like okay I if there is no God and no meaning and everything is sheer just what happened by accident right there are billions of planets and enough time and the laws of physics are such that one of them well, there's water, and there's life, and then there's animal life, and then there's self-conscious human life, and then, like, then there's Bach, and then he's writing these things. For that to come out of nothing? For the experience of human love to come up out of nothing? Even in that understanding of things, that is transcendent in a way that it is. It might as well be divine. It might as well be something beyond just meaninglessness. Like, there's just a directly felt and known goodness in love and music um, that, again, it, it's about being directly known. It's just felt. It's experienced. It's not a factual thing. It's not a, oh, I have logically demonstrated that a necessary being necessarily exists. No, it's just this, like, it's known in a way that is a different faculty, it's a different area than that kind of thing. So basically, all that to say, when I struggle with meaninglessness or worries about meaninglessness, um, large-scale or my meaninglessness, I now know, like, I have a toolkit, and I'm like, play some Bach and talk to a friend. Like, <laughs> these are... There are places that I directly experience in this kind of concentrated form whatever I in my life have found as those um, touchstones of meaning. Like this I can hang on to and it sort of drills down into whatever the foundation is. I don't have it figured out, but I, I can feel something through this. Mm -hmm. I think of, there's again an example um, that Simone Weil uses of two prisoners who are separated by a wall like they're in neighboring cells and they're separated by a wall and they tap on the wall to tap messages back and forth to each other mm -hmm. um, and so they can't hear or interact with each other directly right it's mediated by I'm just I'm actually just hearing this wall shaking mm -hmm. and I'm just tapping and making this wall shake I'm not we're not directly interacting mm -hmm. this wall is both what separates us and what allows us to communicate. Mm -hmm. It's both at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I just like, so, and so she uses something like mapping that onto like, God is one of them and we are the other of them and the wall is all of creation. It's this thing that necessarily separates us while also being something through which 
mm-hmm. we can communicate and talk to each mm-hmm. other. Again, not in a way that necessarily posits God as super interactive. Um, but that's what I feel in these things. So like things like Bach, things like my friends, those are like parts of the wall that I can put my hand on and really feel it through mm-hmm. and really like, oh, this is, or like, imagine like, I don't know, a door with a fire behind it i should think of a less hazardous example but like you know you put your hand and you feel hot or cold or something behind it like those are the parts of the world that i can hang on to that i can grab onto with my experience and feel whatever there is and i I do believe there is something else those are where i feel it most strongly Mm -hmm. um and that increasingly lately is enough Mm -hmm. um it wasn't for a long time i mean i had whole whole periods of years and years. I mean, also just like have depression, right? Which doesn't (laughs) help with not feeling meaningless. Um, But I've dealt with sort of that combination of just neurochemical depression and philosophical, intellectual, (laughs) possible nihilism. And I'm just like, oh God. And so, yeah, I I don't believe that it, in anything I've ever seen in a way, it can't be responded to factually philosophically conceptually intellectually in a way that sort of resolves it either way um but again we are not abstract beings right like a a purely abstract conceptual sort of truth that would be true out here regardless of who's saying it isn't all that we are we are concrete instantiated real particular finite contextualized people with lives and experiences and so it makes sense that part of that is that the meaning, whatever it may be in our lives, may be something that we experience or, or have contact with through our, through our existence, through my existence as me, and through your existence as you, not in just sort of wholly abstract truths or falsehoods yeah. that we can work with. Does yeah. that make sense? That does make sense. I feel like you have a very human um, take on things or or rather like it seems to come from a human place in both cases right so talking about Bach and then talking to a friend is almost like the two examples mm-hmm. right it feels like there's something about a communion with other humans right yes. so it's like Bach is another human that and, and everyone else who's ever listened to Bach and felt the same mm-hmm. way there's a communion there right and then in talking to someone right do you feel like you feel a sense of meaning when you interact with like nature or like for instance if you think about like or look at the stars right you're mm-hmm. like if you ever were like oh I could go to outer space right like, would you expect to feel a sense of, um, like, deep meaning within yourself interacting with something non-human? Or even something that's inert? That's trickier, though, because, yeah, there are times that I feel a great communion and connection and, and meaning with nature and with my own solitude, even with it. Um, at the same time, if the particular worries or stresses or like the kind of meaninglessness that I'm struggling with is about aloneness, Mm -hmm. then that doesn't always do it, right? We're like, yeah, this is beautiful and I can experience this connection. But it also, but I do believe, and here again, I I don't have intellectual proofs for all of this, but Mm -hmm. I believe whatever the divine is, it shows up in the world in a special way in people. And you're absolutely right that that's part of the beauty and the meaning for me in art, right? Is not that it's not... It's not just that these notes are really lovely, but it's the wonder and the mystery and the miracle that a person did this, made this, and shared this with the world, right? Like, 
that's that's pretty rad yeah <laughs> you know it's not just that it's pretty but it's that this is something that a human like again because we all we just show up in existence right you just you're here and we figure it out mm-hmm. um and i think of art um as so meaningful because it is that experience of beauty it is that experience of meaning but it's just this directly mm-hmm. sensed and felt mm-hmm. thing that gets us as people and that there are people who have created that in their same, just like I showed up in existence and I managed to create this beautiful thing and then they share it. And I, it, it, that act of giving, that act of like, hey guys, I found this one, like, and then helping others with it, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That's, that's so much of the beauty. It's both the beauty of this thing in itself and it's the beauty of being given it mm-hmm. by another human yeah. just like me. Because I was thinking as you were saying about someone like composing music, right? Um, okay, well, like, a glacier makes a mountain, right? So, like, the glacier doing what a glacier does and just being in existence, like, carves out this mountain, right? And you can think that that's very beautiful. But there's something very special about if the glacier were like, I bet you're going to like this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And so that's, like, you know... It may not be, like, you're going to like this in the sense of, like, it's going to be happy, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to give you an experience that's going to make you feel like you're in communion with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Would you say to someone who's experiencing um, a feeling of meaninglessness, dread, existentially, that they should maybe seek out art as a way to make themselves feel better? Sure, try it. Which again, um, for those of you who have not read Nausea by Sartre, it's a great book. And at the end of it, that's basically what happens, right? Mm-hmm. With the whole like... Jazz I'm playing a jazz music. record. I'm going to go to America. Um, <laughs> and there's this whole like, wait, is that a good answer or not? Like, doesn't matter. It worked for him. Yeah. And that's the answer. It worked for him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yes, I think absolutely. And and I would also say, I'm very slow to tell other people what to do and sure. think. But just like, for me, it has been very, very important for me to learn that often I am set on asking this particular question and I have an idea of what the answer to that question needs to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and if an answer that looks like that is not really showing up or existing, mm-hmm. then, oh no, I'm so frustrated and scared and stressed and distressed. Mm-hmm. And I think precisely in questions of meaning and things like that, they go beyond just those kind of rational answers it's not that it's about an experience it's about um humor me for an aside um someone a professor of mine once was talking about faith and i have a whole right like obviously there's lots of things that are called faith that are goofy and are just laziness and bad faith and but like there are also things that i think there are things that are candidates for faith and things that are candidates for belief and there's different kinds of things and so his example was of you know Faith isn't believing something that I could or could not have evidence for, but I don't either way, and I choose to believe it anyway. Faith is even the kinds of things that we have faith in aren't subject to those normal kinds Mm -hmm. of intellectual proof anyway. Like, I love my spouse. I can't prove that. I can't (laughs) prove that in any way to me or to anyone else. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's not there. That means the way that I experience and know... I don't have a spouse, by the way, right? But that was the example. (laughs) But for me, it's I have friends who are extremely, extremely close, who are soul partners, life partners of mine, and I know that I love them, not in any way that I can rationally explicate, right? But it's just known, it's felt, it's experienced, is that love for them. That's, and so that I think is that example of faith. And I think that precisely these questions of meaning are going to need that kind of answer, the kind of answer that our 
that is known, experienced, contacted, instead of you're never going to get a, a typed up premise, premise, conclusion mm-hmm. answer to that kind of thing, because it's not that kind of question. Do you think that some people might be scared to recognize something that's beyond logical? So like someone who's like more of a Richard Dawkins type, do you think that there's a fear in saying, I don't have all the answers, right? But I think that running away from that gets in the way of your ability to commune with people, especially because it could cause you to be unnecessarily harsh with people if they don't almost like live up to your standards of what's logical and rational. Right. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, But I think for a lot of people, a big part of what's going on with that is fear of not just the unknown, but the ununderstood. Fear of that which I can't understand. Mm -hmm. Fear of that which is beyond what I can understand. Because to understand something is to have a kind of mastery over Mm. it, is not necessarily to have control over it, but to have something that feels like control over it. I, I liked your phrasing of things beyond logical um because again i think that's that's what these kind of things are right my love for friends or someone's love for their partner or just the felt experience that you have when you listen to a song that moves you right um those kind of things they're not rational i can't tell you why you should feel this way in response to this song or like so the example that i've used with friends is like let's say i'm listening to Bach and I'm crying and over here, good tears, um, beauty tears. And over here, my other friend is listening to Neil Young and crying, Mm -hmm. good tears, beauty tears, right? Neither one of us is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell her that she needs to like, no, you should be responding to this in this way. Like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not a rational thing that you should Mm -hmm. or should not have the following response to it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, but it's also not less than rational. It's not irrational, right? Because, yeah. like, things that are less than rational are things that I can point to. Like, no, that doesn't work for the following reason. Like, you shouldn't get super drunk and then go driving around, even if you feel fine about it, for the following rational reasons, mm-hmm. right? That would be an irrational response. Mm-hmm. These things are more than rational. They're just rationality isn't the instrument, the tool, the language, the means that's even going to be able to connect with that. They're more than that. And so again, if people need to stay within the strictly rational, and typically I think, and first among them, me, (laughs) for a lot of my life, right? Like like I said, I left religion and immediately grabbed onto philosophy and tried to do the same thing with it. This is a structure of meaning. This will give me answers and allow me to have power over the universe and over others by having more things figured out Mm -hmm. Um, for people who need that kind of rational certainty. Then there can be a need to acknowledge the reality only of that which falls within that rational certainty and just to deny the rest of it. But that, again, Mm -hmm. I think is the difference, is saying there is nothing beyond this, or the difference between saying there's nothing beyond this or anything beyond this is faulty and irrational versus just being okay with that and recognizing that, yeah, there is something else here that I don't fully understand because understanding isn't the whole game. Yeah. I do worry about how you can maintain... Um, like moral objectivism and a feeling of truth and also a very high degree of subjectivity in people's experiences Mm -hmm. of uh, basically beauty and on meaning. I believe that there is moral, that there are objective moral truths, um, which is not the same thing as believing necessarily that we have especially good access to those moral truths. Mm -hmm. Like we can get it wrong. 
Um, it might even be the case not only that we do get it wrong, but that we do not have great epistemic, like in terms of what we know, access to yeah. those moral truths. And I'm, I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it does mean for something to be good and for something to be right, um, I just believe that probably at least a big part of that is something about its being good and right in its effects on others. It's troubling on some level to think that um, somebody else who's just as human as you and, you know, feels communion with other humans can have a really different value system and still believe that they're just as right, Mm -hmm. right, in terms of, like, evil. So, okay, yeah, how are you going to both respect people's subjective experiences and construct a morality when other people think very radically different from you? Um. And that, again, I mean, that's that's one of those where I... It's a mess. Like, at one and the same time, I have to be comfortable with the unknowing. I know that I don't have it all figured out either, right? I, I believe that I do have some things figured out. I don't have everything figured out, but I know, like, don't torture people. Don't um, limit people's options based on their sex, gender, or race, or whatever, right? Um... And so when I see instances of people doing things that I believe are evil, and this, evil is such a wild word, like, Mm. but I think it's just, it's my duty to stop it while recognizing, yeah, I could be wrong, but I also can't wait for absolute certainty to act or I could never do anything. Because as we've (laughs) said, we can't have absolute certainty of next to anything, at least as far as it touches the real world. Mm -hmm. Like geometry, fantastic. (laughs) triangles can never spur me to action you know like in terms of anything we're actually engaging with in the real world like we have limited information and limited rationality and some mm. things that don't fit even within that limited amount and just like we gotta live and act regardless and if i see uh, and i'm doing you know far less than i guess i should but even things going on today in america right like mm-hmm. stripping protections from immigrants and things like this i'm just like no, I'm going to stop that in what way I can, which unfortunately is like, vote against it without <laughs> congressional representation. Um, then yeah, that I think that we, we can, in times like that, act on what we believe to be right and wrong. If we've been, like, been reflective and done some good faith, critical analysis of our own beliefs and thoughts and things, mm-hmm. right? Um, stop and think and imagine like is there part of the situation that i don't know how does this look from their perspective Mm -hmm. right because a lot of times how i think something's happening is not the whole story like there are Mm -hmm. relevant things that i am missing and that that might be part of it right is that we didn't ultimately disagree we were just looking at two different things Mm -hmm. if we both fully understood what each other's looking at we would agree on our respective questions um but at times, no, there are people who are just like, no, women shouldn't fill in the blank yeah. or the races should be separate. And you're just like, no, like you, you know, you know, and that's, that's its own whole super hard thing where, yeah, if it's someone who, well, frankly, in some settings, sure, we're going to engage in some sense. In a lot of cases, no, I'm not even going to try to change your mind, which is a shame. You know, I, I think that like, mm-hmm. if I know someone is mistreating their child and I am somehow positioned to talk to them about that, then I should talk to them about that um, Mm -hmm. in a constructive way. Do I think I need to like 
start a PR campaign to convince to convince all Americans that like Donald Trump's attitude toward and treatment of immigrants is bad. Like no, because I don't think I don't think it's going to change these people's mind. And that's what's hard. Is like when you do actually in, enter conversation with people and butt up against, "Oh, here's here's yeah. the difference. Either it's a factual difference of understanding, which a lot of times it is and that's unfortunate and is mm-hmm. right, or it might just be like, "No, this is a value difference. Like you just genuinely think us against them." And I don't really know how to argue with that rationally because that's, again, there's more than a rational disagreement here. Yeah. There's just a, my felt experience of being a human somehow just gives me everyone matters equally and yours seems not to. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I mean, again, I believe I'm right and I believe you're wrong. But I also believe that that rightness and wrongness, again, is outside just factual intellectual rationality and so i don't know how else to and perhaps that's it right so then like the ways that we can teach or change or 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 engage with people should also go beyond just factual rationality here is your error instead to like show people in a lived felt way here is what love is here is what compassion is here is you know like here come meet this person who Mm -hmm. is an immigrant or who is gay or who is transgender or who is a woman? <laughs> like, yeah, no, that true. sort of changing those things. If 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 where they've gone wrong isn't itself purely rational, then whatever hope there is of getting someone to what I believe is true and right should itself also engage with those things beyond the rational. Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 seems to be where like I'm coming from based on what you're saying. Um, where the thing that's going to unite people in some kind of an objective morality is a sensitivity to connection with other human beings. And if that Mm -hmm. falls apart, that's going to lead to something that you could rationally justify as a system of beliefs and ethics, but that doesn't actually speak to that part of the experience that you're mentioning that's Mm -hmm. beyond logical. So when you sort of talk about like us versus them, right, that really encompasses like a lot of problematic behaviors, I think. When you start to think of yourself in opposition to another human Mm -hmm. being, then there are problems, right? When you try to think as much as you possibly can of like, what can I concede to this person's perspective and how can I put myself in their shoes and be empathetic mm-hmm. and all those things, things tend to go better and in a more productive direction towards problem solving, mm-hmm. right? But if you don't, that really can create problems. Right. Um, but there's no, there's no proof that would show you that that's what you should do, right? But like you're saying, it's just something that you either right. feel or you don't. And if you don't, that you could, a lot of people don't like that much. But there are those people. They're out there. Yeah. Part of how I interact with people in my better times is not just as you are something that I am interacting with just for my purposes. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to connect with you and to be a part of your life in a... Mm-hmm. Not a, not a, You're not a screen that I punch certain things right. in and get certain responses from. Like, and I don't want to treat you like that. That's the that's the mystery of love, is it's someone who also is in addition to me, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, like, you bring things that I can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems like the theme of the conversation is there's, like, a human particularity that you find meaning in, and that's at the core of a lot of these questions. Yeah. Cool beans. And that, yeah, in, in I recognize that that human particularity goes beyond the rational and my experience of and contact with it goes beyond the rational and for that reason I am comfortable increasingly with things that do not have perfectly wrapped up rational answers Mm -hmm. yeah very cool
Well, anything else you'd like to share? Any thoughts on nihilism, advice, words of wisdom? Um, I guess just what I said earlier, right? Like, if a person is in a place... Because I've been there, right? When I was just like, oh, no. Like, through a combination of probably, at the time, untreated depression and a philosophy course. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, <laughs> oh, no, there's no meaning to life. And I was in distress and anguish. Um... Yeah, if a person is in that place, uh, I would just say, like, be open to the possibility that these questions don't have answers of the kind that you're looking for, that that can be okay, Um, that the lack of the kind of answer you're looking for doesn't mean there's no answer. It might just mean that, like, again, the question needs to be asked a little differently or that it somehow goes beyond anything that could fit within that way of asking the question. Mm -hmm. And that again, for me at least, I've found that connection in love and art. So go for that, experience that, and don't worry about having to understand it to let yourself know what you know in experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. So that's I think that's good advice, you know. I hope it resonates with people, and thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks for listening to If Nothing Matters. You can follow us on Instagram at If Nothing Matters or shoot us an email, ifnothingmatters at gmail.com. This is your host, Laura Ossiani, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>